and welcome back to yet another episode of I'll Show You Mine. I'm James, and I'm here with my wife, Elise. I'm Elise. Uh, this is a podcast where I show her all the beloved games from my life that she's never experienced, and she shares all the beloved movies from her life that I've never seen. Uh, this week, I am sharing with Elise Link's Awakening DX, or should I say The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening DX. Yes, yes. For the Game Boy Color. Uh, this uh, came out in December of 1998. It is a remake, a, a, a really a port, a color-enabled port of the original Game Boy game, black and white Game Boy game from 1993. All right, all right. Link's Awakening is the fourth Zelda game. Um, it was... You got... The Legend of Zelda, The Legend of Zelda 2. Zelda 2. Zelda 2. Link's Adventure. Link's Adventure. And or then no, The Adventure of Link. The Adventure of Link. <laughs> and then you have what came after that? The Super Nintendo game. The Super Nintendo version of The Legend of Zelda? It's the third game. Third Zelda game. Very, very well regarded Zelda game it's for just, Super Nintendo. It's just called the third Zelda game? No, it's it, called The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Oh, A Link to the Past. Okay, that's what yeah. <laughs> And this, Link's Awakening, was the first portable Zelda game. And actually, it was. It started out as a an attempt to port Zelda 3, Link to the Past, to Game Boy. Mm-hmm. But it kind of developed into its own thing. It was directed by Takashi Tezuka. We've talked about him before, I think, on the Yoshi's Island episode. He's Miyamoto's kind of right-hand guy and a director of all of the the superstar Nintendo games back in the day. Super Mario Brothers 1, 2, and 3, Legend of Zelda, Super Mario World, and Link to the Past. He was, Ooh. you know, a director on all of those games. It was written by Yoshiaki Koizumi, who would go on to direct, his first director role would be Super Mario Sunshine, another game that we both love. But it's interesting that he's the writer here, because the writing of this game is weird, like we mentioned (laughs) last last time. It's it's a weird one. (laughs) And uh, the director, Tezuka, even mentioned that he wanted this game to kind of feel like the television show Twin Peaks, which huh. was, you know, just airing at that time. And so weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Combine that with Zelda, like, of all things. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's, this was the very first top-down Zelda game that I played. The very first Zelda game that I ever played was Ocarina of Time. Uh-huh. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm one of those youngins who only experienced those <laughs> 3D Zelda. That was their first experience of of like I didn't know who Link was or anything. Um. So when I got this, presumably in '98 or '99, this was a new experience for me, and it's a it's a strange one to to board in on because it's uh, it's got like it doesn't take place in Hyrule. You are 
I think you might be the same link as the one from Link to the Past, who's uh, traveling on a ship in the, on the on the ocean and is struck down by a storm, and he washes up on this island called Koholint Island, mm-hmm. and he meets a lot of people there who are kind of familiar to characters that you saw in Link to the Past, but are named differently. And then there's also a lot of characters from other Mario uh, Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. Like there's a Chain Chomp from Mario. Mm-hmm. There is a character named Richard who is actually from the Japan-only game For Whom the Frog Tolls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I'm yes, very Richard. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm really sad we never got any of that because I've seen little artifacts of that game like it was they had trophies in melee super smash brothers melee hmm. it looks like a very interesting game where the main characters transformed into a frog and mm, yeah uh and then there's like there's a yoshi doll there is um little, when you go underground there's side scrolling areas where there's goombas and piranha plants Weird. yeah <laughs> And uh, so there's this weird Nintendo crossover, and the whole plot is kind of, uh, is this even real? Am I in a real place right now? Yeah. Uh, But this was my first top-down Zelda game, so I I was wondering, like, is this normal for Zelda? I mean, Ocarina of Time didn't have any kind of Mario stuff in it. Yeah. I mean, there was, one of the characters kind of looked like Mario. Like. The, the ranch, on the ranch, the yeah. ranch guy, <laughs> yeah, and uh, there was like the the mask that kind of looked like Pikachu, but yeah. So you, so you knew of the previous Zelda games once you played Ocarina of Time, but this was the first top-down one that you got into, or um, I couldn't say that I was fully read up on everything. I definitely knew of the NES version. I might have had... Now that I think about it, I might have played that before this because I did go to a used game shop and buy the the gold cartridge NES Mm. game just (laughs) as a curiosity. Because it's gold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I still have that. But, you know, that didn't... I kind of bounced right off of that because of how uh, obtuse it is. It's really hard. But, you know, I I definitely was not really aware of A Link to the Past uh-huh. or Zelda 2. Uh, so, yeah, this... I'm just kind of curious if, like you said, you were wondering if this was, like, what those Zelda games were, if you were thinking specifically of, like, the original The Legend of Zelda and, like, Zelda 2 and Link to the Past, if you're... It's like, did they all have this kind of energy and i just didn't get it because it had phased out by the time ocarina of time came out Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i was wondering that and i mean i I wasn't so knowledgeable that i knew exactly how many zelda games there had Mm. been and maybe there was some i wasn't aware of or something but it was only later that i realized no this is kind of the only one that does that (laughs) and it's it was very much intentional and i really appreciate it for that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, speaking of obtuse games, this one is a little bit obtuse. It's especially coming off of A Link to the Past, which has a very clean logic built into it. 
you learn everything you can do and everything you do in the game is related to the actions you can do directly as Link. Mm. But this one kind of has a little bit of that wibbly-wobbly, mystical... Timey-wimey. Yeah, <laughs> kind of <laughs> element to it where the obs- some obs- you need to get by some sort of obstacle with maybe you might have to use a guide or something because it's not always so obvious mm-hmm. what you have to do. Yeah, so it's, I'm wondering, like, is, is it's definitely got to be intentional coming off of A Link to the Past that they did it th- this way. Mm-hmm. And who knows why. I mean, it's it's certainly a really dense game because it's like the whole world map is like this tangled knot of a maze that <laughs> <laughs> you have to wander through. And, and it's just, I don't know what I'm going with this, but yeah, let's just play it. Um <laughs> Uh, I never beat it. I guess that's where I'm going with it. I never beat it. I'm sorry to say. So <laughs> hopefully we can do that this time. Uh, do you know how long it is? No, I don't. Do you know how far did you get when you played it? Did you get the sense that you were like not even close to being done when you Honestly, gave up the ghost? I don't know. I, I, I think I at least got halfway through. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. I remember that I um, I associate this game with my friend Jonathan a lot because he also had it. And he was like the only person I could kind of bounce ideas off of and stuff. And <laughs> we were try to, trying to con- figure out these, these uh, obtuse puzzles and stuff. And uh, he also had a Game Boy camera and a Game Boy printer. <laughs> and this game is enabled with both of those features have you ever tried played with the game boy camera or anything no but we talked about it on another uh game boy game episode where uh, WarioWare probably yeah where you said that you had the printout i think you showed it to me like the actual printout paper maybe i saw i, I feel like we looked at the and it was really faded oh remember maybe but yeah, this uh, the Game Boy printer was this funny little accessory they made, along with the Game Boy camera, and it was just a thermal printer, like a receipt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a handful of Game Boy games that allowed you to, you know, print stuff out. And uh, in this game, it's like these little photo opportunities throughout the game where mm-hmm. Link can pose and take a, a picture in front of something, and yeah. then. I like when you we talked about it before and I saw the like what it actually was it was uh <laughs> it's just funny to think of these little like they came out with these things all the time these little peripheral uh accessories and stuff and this one in particular is so weird because it's like it was before we got to the technology of uh do you remember those little tiny polaroid Oh yeah, I had one of those. So it's like it was like a little postage stamp almost sized photo that you would get, but it was like photo paper. Yeah. It was like actually it like a little, those little, strips. little strip, yeah, yeah, and you could like cut it up. It was basically like having your own little mini um, photo booth, mm-hmm. and so it was about that size. And this is like about that size, maybe even smaller. But it's not printed on photo paper. It's it's printed on, like, receipt paper. And so you have these little photos that are, like, thermal printed. And it's just, like, 
what do you do with those after? <laughs> like, what do you put them up? Do you like keep them in your? The only thing I can imagine is, uh, you know, back in the day in middle school when you had your binder with the clear cover, you could totally stick them all in there, mm-hmm. have them adorn your. <laughs> you know your pencil case or your binder or whatever oh yeah totally <laughs> just like put scotch tape over them stick them everywhere yeah uh but yeah that's like this this it's that toy <laughs> mentality of nintendo that i really love yeah that they just make these things for kids to to play with these frivolous things that it they're just fun there's no point to it and eventually they're just gonna break and they're just gonna throw yeah. these things away or whatever <laughs> but these prints will, will fade yeah Every anybody who has their old Game Boy print printer printouts will will know that <laughs> they are basically gone by now. Yeah, I think this it also had um, some Game Boy camera capability too, where you could maybe get like some Zelda stickers to put over your photos mm. if you wanted to. Nice. But yeah, uh, Jonathan was the guy that had those things, and so we I actually got to use those those capabilities from this game it's pretty neat that's kind of a thing that they've i mean link having a camera and being able you you being able to take pictures of link and of the uh scenery and everything is something that's come back in the like breath of the wild breath of the wild has it uh, take your selfies wind waker (laughs) had the picto box where you can take photos yeah it's uh a lot not the only thing that I think this was the uh, first Zelda game that had any kind of photo capability. And that's not the only thing that carried over from this game. Link has always had some sort of musical instrument he could play. Mm -hmm. But this game really takes it to the next level where the object of the game is to go into the dungeons and collect these musical instruments, which you would use to wake the wind fish which is the deity that is sleeping at the top of the mountain on this island Mm -hmm. sleeping in this big yoshi-like egg Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be able to wake the wind fish with these instruments and that's your way off the island Mm, and so it's neat when you collect an instrument you can go to the top and play it and it's this one track and then Every instrument you get adds a new track to this song. Oh, kind of like the Yoshi's the Yoshi's uh, Island the map thing, right? Yeah, theme. yeah, exactly. So I love that. I like the. <laughs> I like when. Uh, I think that's something that's in a lot of Nintendo games. That's also in uh, Breath of the Wild with the um, the village that you build as you bring oh, yes. more people to it. The theme song of the village kind of builds on each uh, like. Each character represents a, a musical instrument that's like added to the the mm-hmm. arrangement. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like that little. It's so gimmick. satisfying. <laughs> yeah, and so let's see what else the the, the music element. Um, owls, owl being the uh, kind of the mentor character first introduced in this game. Hmm. And something very interesting in this game that you don't see very often is uh, since the Game Boy only had the two buttons, 
you know, Link to the Past, you had the sword button and you had your Pegasus boots button. You had these items that were kind of permanently mapped to certain buttons. And then you had your two optional slots to work with. Mm -hmm. In this one, there's only the two optional slots. So you can actually play without a sword. It's the first Zelda game where you can opt to choose two items that aren't your sword Mm -hmm. because the sword has to be mapped to one of those slots. And so it's, uh, you get to choose a lot of interesting combinations. Also, this is a, the f- first game where you get a jump, I mean, aside from Zelda 2, but this is the first one top-down where you have an item that lets you jump, and that becomes a, a new way of getting around obstacles and stuff. Hmm. So yeah, uh, really interesting Zelda game, my first top-down Zelda game. And uh, it's just super charming. Really good music too. You'll, th- I think you'll recognize a lot of the songs that we hear remixes of on our YouTube favorite uh, <laughs> DJ Cutman <laughs> YouTube yeah. stream. Uh, come from this game, uh, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's play it. And we're not going to play it on the Game Boy. That would be uh, <laughs> painful. <laughs> We've done that a couple times, and and it is painful. It is painful. <laughs> And we can't, can't really no we can't really share the screen at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so we'll play it on the TV, and uh, hopefully, after we we've played enough of it, we can check out the the Switch remake and see how that stacks up. I'm excited to play that one. It's, it looks cute as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. All right, let's do it. Yes, we are in for a treat. Uh, we just finished. We beat, beat. Zelda, beat L- The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening, DX, Game Boy Color, 1998. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, we beat it. We beat it. We beat it, which is better than I did when I was a kid. Yeah, better than we usually do with most of the games we play. Yeah. <laughs> and this is no picnic to beat yeah it was no uh it was no breeze like this wasn't a oh we sat down for a couple hours and wrapped it up this took commitment yeah i'm not sure i didn't time it or anything but it must have been over 12 hours maybe i would say about 20 hours oh wow maybe oh wow because we not only beat it but we got all the heart pieces got all the any kind of optional quest or item we got everything did everything. We did a, a complete, a full complete. Yes. Which um, apparently I, I, I went and checked and I, I looked at my original cartridge and I was at the last dungeon. <laughs> that was just the, the point where I gave up apparently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the fact that we beat it and just ate up all the content that it had to offer... I think might give you a preview 
as to how we feel about this game. <laughs> Just a little clue. Uh, but yeah, one thing first off, point of order, I forgot to ask you in the first part of the episode, <laughs> kind of what your experience was with these kinds of Zelda games in the first place. Uh, yeah, I have played uh, a few Zelda games not I obviously hadn't played this one before and I hadn't played a lot of like the handheld Zelda games I think and like even the early stuff uh I didn't really get into my first Zelda was Ocarina of Time yeah and I played a couple of the the ones that came after that like uh Majora's Mask Wind Waker but I didn't finish those and it was right. like we went over a, this you didn't have them but yeah a collaborative effort between me and the people who owned them yeah but you you but you're you consider yourself a zelda fan like oh, yeah. you, you beat breath of the wild like almost twice right or uh, did you beat it twice i did beat it twice, you I beat think it I, twice. i'm on my like third playthrough <laughs> and dj's playing it now and really making me want to go back and play yeah. it again well you're buying it if you uh, <laughs> oh i did switch. i beat twilight princess i beat ocarina of time i've beat breath of the wild multiple times so those are probably and now link's awakening i've beat <laughs> so those are the ones that i've played all the way through mm-hmm. and i've kind of seen bits and pieces of the other ones and you know with Link's Awakening in particular, I've always heard that it, it has this cult appeal, that there's people who love it, that's their favorite Zelda game, That and I just had no concept of it. And I guess, like, the, the original The Legend of Zelda for straight-up NES was, like, I tried that later, like, in college or something when I got my hands on emulators, and I was like, this is fucking impossible. Like, it's hard. And I just, like, thought that all these earlier games were v- going to be really similar to that. Mm. And it is, but it's not. And so I think that that's, like, what people like about it. And that uh, it's just, it's, you know, we'll get into all the details of it. But it was something that was a mystery to me for a long time. Yeah, you're and, like me. I, you, you, came, you came up in the 3D Zelda age. Yeah, uh-huh. And it's uh, kind of fitting that it had such a mysterious origin to me because it is kind of this odd game out in the in the franchise. Yes. I want to proffer the analogy of uh, Link's Awakening is to A Link to the Past as... Majora's Mask is to Ocarina of Time. Yeah, that's fair, I think. It's like the weird twin sister <laughs> game. Yeah. Uh, in this case, on different platforms, but it's the same character, just like Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. It's the same Link going on a second adventure, and this time things get weird. Yeah. It's not the vanilla Zelda experience. Mm-hmm. It's, you're in a new place, uh, and there's just a the focus is on the cast of characters rather than the dungeons themselves Mm -hmm. even though the dungeons here are not any kind of pushover or anything (laughs) uh but yeah it's the one where you you can tell like the developers were like let's have fun with it yeah (laughs) let's just go let's just get weird and wild on this one (laughs) so um yeah what did you think about the presentation of this game and compared to you know 
your other Zelda experiences in general? I really liked it. I thought that it was, it's, it's weird. Like, and it's intentionally weird. It's the, right from the beginning when you're in, is it Mabe Village? Mabe Village, Mabe Village, the main, like, little village where you wash up on the beach uh, after this shipwreck and, you know, you get taken in by these, by uh, Marin and, Taryn. Yeah. And they're like they're they're having a kind of interaction with you and then you go out in the village and everybody that you talk to is everything they say is like super meta. They're they're just Yeah, everybody breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, the they're right from the beginning. You go and you talk to these kids and they're like, Hey mister, if you wanna save, you push this button. I don't know what that means. I'm just a kid. <laughs> and so it's like all that little stuff is like, what the fuck? Okay, like I don't that, I don't feel like that's a thing in the more vanilla Zelda games. No. It's more you're in this world and everybody's in this world, and in this it's much more cheeky about this is a game, and it's like it's all built into the narrative because the the sto- what happens? What's the story? So the story is Link washes up on this island. He's rescued by Marin and uh, is, learns that he's on this island called Koholin Island. And the only way for him to get off the island is to wake the wind fish that sleeps in this giant egg on top of the tallest mountain on the island. And as you progress through the game and you beat the dungeons and you're learning more about like these enemies that you're facing, the enemies are all telling you, this is all, we're all the wind fish's dream. And if you wake up the wind fish, we're all going to disappear. So you can't wake up the wind fish because our existence depends on him staying asleep. And so it's like this whole, the, the world isn't real. And... Or is it? <laughs> everybody like, seems so real. Everybody seems so real. You're there. And, and all but, the while, Marin is starting to develop feelings for you. She obviously has a crush on you. Yeah. And it's just like the the way that the game is blurring the boundaries between what's real, what's not real, what's what's like... What's the the fantasy narrative versus this is a game that you're playing? Like, what's in Zelda versus all these Mario properties that are Mm -hmm. sprinkled throughout all these nods to different Mario stuff (laughs) that's just, like, bleeding the lines between, like, what is this? (laughs) Like, what is life? (laughs) It's, like, it's really trippy and really fun because it's just... I like I love Zelda. I love all the characters and all like the world and everything. And so for Zelda to have fun with itself and to go to this weird place where it's like what's real, what's not real? Oh, like we're we're making nods to the fact that this is like, you know, that it, it it's it's breaking the fourth wall and it's doing all this stuff that's just like a treat for me 
a person who appreciates that stuff in all my other media. Mm. Like, I like when things go meta when they do it well. And this, I think, does it well and has fun with it. And it's just really interesting to see from a Zelda game because most of my experience with it is being very, like, high fantasy. You're in this world and, like, it's immersive. Yeah. It's just... It's but, great. Yeah, and these all the people that live there, they don't really have that history or anything like you would in a normal Zelda game. It's just like uh they, they don't know how long they've lived yeah. there and they don't remember like you know any of the history of the island or anything like that. It's just like we live here. Mm-hmm. We're this here. Is all here for you. Yeah. Link. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it's 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 funny too. Like the there's that there's weird characters like an, just anthropomorphic animals, and uh, one of which is a crocodile that sells bananas. And he says like, <laughs> "My brother is an artist, so I guess weird hobbies run in the family." <laughs> uh, I just like the it's, that's that's a that's a kind of a, a funny mature joke that just the act of being an artist is a fun it's just a weird hobby (laughs) that somebody can do (laughs) instead of like a a a trained profession that takes (laughs) a lifetime to perfect and the 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 guy who straight up tells you i'm going to be lost and injured in the mountains or whatever later (laughs) and (laughs) there he is uh the freaking chain chomp the little the little chain chomp is like uh, I just want—I want it all, makeup and 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 clothes and <laughs> little accessories. T- this little tiny chain shop that's like, I want accessories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got like we got chain shops, we got Yoshi, we got Shy Guy, we got Goombas, booze, Piranha Plants, Pokies, Cheap Cheeps, uh, and even Peach makes an appearance. Oh, and which Wart, is and Wart from Frog Guy, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers Two USA is in there uh and the peach thing is really funny too like (laughs) she appears in a photograph which is sent to a character from this goat woman character Mm -hmm. she's writing a a love letter to mr wright who in himself is a cameo another another cameo from (laughs) to sim city which is in turn a nod to will wright the designer of sim city uh and he gets this letter from this goat woman and it has a picture of her, a photograph, and it's a photograph of Princess Peach. <laughs> <laughs> and she calls herself Christine. So this is a game that contains catfishing. <laughs> yeah. From 1993. Which is just amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's just got a hell of a lot of personality to it. Yeah. And it's about, it's it's not like a super clean game mechanically like Mm -hmm. link the past is but it it's got this charm to it where it's all about the people you meet and uh not entirely about just all the puzzles Mm -hmm. and it's um it's a valid criticism criticism of the game that it's not this like completely show don't tell kind of game where they give you all the mechanics and you kind of have to piece out how everything goes they like I said in the beginning, this is kind of obtuse and you have to do a lot of experimenting and just like talking to people and get told what to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which is, you know, there are some people who prefer, who, who really dislike that, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it's, this is like the beginning of that, the tutorial creep that like reached its peak in Skyward Sword, where everybody's just like endlessly telling you how to do stuff, and you get these long text strings that you have to read through about stuff you already know. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think that the writing and the personality of the game kind of makes up for it. Yeah. There was definitely, I mean, I got frustrated with the gameplay plenty of times. There were moments where I was just like the, (laughs) the text thing being an issue is most uh, obnoxious when, because you have to have these certain items to do to interact with certain objects in the world. So it's like, you get the power bracelet that lets you pick things up. You get the Pegasus boots that let you run through objects. And before you get those things, anytime you touch them, bump up against them at all, it's like, oh, you can't do this thing yet. And it's like every time, yeah. every time you touch a thing. So you're like trying to avoid them until you, because you're like, okay, I know, I know, I need to get a thing mm. until I can, like, so I can pick up this rock or whatever. But I got it. Like, stop, stop, stop telling me. Stop giving me this text box. Yeah. But every time was... you get a compass, every time you get a map, yeah. every time you get an owl's beak, every time you pick up a freaking piece of power or guardian acorn, you get the same string of text. Like, yes, just let me pick it up. <laughs> I know. But, yeah, it was still totally just charmed by the rest of the game and the atmosphere of it and the music and the like the art it's it's like just a delight like everything Mm -hmm. else about it more than makes up for the parts of it that were frustrating and like uh you know the thing that i'm gonna remember about this game like those text boxes will be part of the memory of it, but right. it's overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the whole, uh, you mentioned the music, the whole, just, uh, the idea of collecting all these musical instruments and, uh, learning, you, you learn a few songs on your ocarina. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's the first game where you actually learn different songs for the one instrument. Mm, maybe it's just, <laughs> what to say about it i mean it's uh the 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 ballad of the windfish is this is the main song it's this uh it's the song that you need to play with the with the eight instruments of the sirens to wake the windfish and it's the song that Marin sings in the courtyard she teaches you how to play it on the ocarina mm-hmm. and it's got this this kind of wilting listless melody to it uh, uh, can we can we listen to it yeah <laughs> Thank you.
and it's just a it's a odd selection of notes and it but it's such an earworm and like Marin says keep this song forever in your heart yeah <laughs> and it will be <laughs> i think it it's stuck in my head even more because i had heard it on that youtube uh station that we listen to all the time that's like a lot of uh lo-fi uh, remixes of video game music or anime music or something and that one's I've, I've heard it multiple times on that station oh, that's yeah. like the remix of the Ballad of the Windfish and so I recognized it a little bit but it was a little different in this game and then it's like you know you hear it we, we got the the Switch version of Link's Awakening played that and that sounds a little different but it's still this like central haunting melody that's just like it's got it's got this this odd quality to it which is just perfect for the like the ambiance of the game that it just it fits so perfectly with it and it makes the it makes everything else all the more compelling that it's centralized around this song mm-hmm. and like the story the the way you have to finish this is like to play this song to wake up this like mystical fish <laughs> like it's so weird and the song is weird and mysterious and like it's just mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'm at a loss honestly because it's just like playing this game was such a fucking experience and it's it's this is (laughs) this is one of those episodes where i feel i was excited to talk about this game and to like just you know gush about it because this just feels like one of those times where we got to do something really special that you introducing this game to me and us like both really enjoying it and spending time doing it and being like we're finishing this no like and it wasn't a sense of obligation or like anything it was just like i want to finish the game Mm -hmm. and we know we have to do it before we (laughs) record the next part so we're we're doing it like we're just dedicating all of our free time to this because (laughs) we love it and it's just like it's so weird and cute and charming and going into the switch version afterwards was just like I was ready to play it all all, all over again. Like, <laughs> we just finished it the same day. Like, a couple hours later, I was like, all right, I'm going to play <laughs> through this whole thing again. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's just crazy. that It's just such a well-made game. And it's just a, a testament to to these developers. And... Yeah, they really, they really put the Game Boy through its paces and got every little ounce out of that <laughs> yeah. machine as they could. Like, we watched the um, retrospective on this game that's part of Jeremy Parrish's Game Boy Color Works, right? <laughs> you, may, <laughs> you said the same thing in the beginning. It's okay. Game Boy Works Color. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I don't, <laughs> I'm not the subscriber. You're the subscriber. But he mentioned something about how... This game was basically a, a remake with not that much changed from the original, and the Switch version is a remake that doesn't have that much changed from the original, and it's just like 
sometimes a good game is just a good game and you don't really have to do that much to it and it still stands the test of time and all you have to do is update the graphics and kind of do something a little you know do new music new sounds and stuff like that and that's like the way it is with the switch one it's just like i'm delighted all over again Mm -hmm. and it's just exciting to see it with these new graphics with the new style but it's the same game underneath and that's it's still really good (laughs) yeah they didn't have to change much at all unfortunately in the switch version they kept the mandatory text every time you pick up one of those things but which is just blows me away but whatever um anyways yeah the thing that i think this game is so intricate and that's what kept us coming back to it is that it's uh you know it's this it's this little island and it's a step down from leveling to the past, but it's actually double the size of the original Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. It's 256 squares of 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 this island, um, and the way they're interconnected and woven together is so complicated. You can't just look at a square in the map and go straight there across the grid. You have to kind of learn the geography of the island and know well to get there i know i really actually have to go way up north over here and loop around or um you know maybe maybe once you have certain items you can cut through areas because now you can lift a block or uh, get across a gap or something Mm -hmm. um but so much of your brain power in this game is dedicated to learning how the map is all oriented to it to uh, all the grids are oriented to one another how to traverse it because there's a lot of travel in this game there's mm-hmm. very limited tele fast travel there's four points on the island that you can jump to but only from each of those points you yeah. have to go there and it takes a while for you to even get all of like yeah by the time we got all of them opened you're basically done with the game mm-hmm. like the fourth one's pretty useless yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah, you're all you're constantly going back and forth, and that's how they kind of get the most out of this world. Mm-hmm. Is that everything is kind of secure, circuitous? Every time you need to go somewhere, you need to go the long way around. Uh, every time you, it's time to go to a new dungeon. There's usually some sort of side quest that you have to get the you have to find the key to the dungeon or do some weird thing like find the golden leaves in the castle for Richard yeah. or or find the kidnapped chain chomp or sorry it's a, called a bow wow in this it's not a chain chomp so yeah it's it's uh we really like know this island like the back of our hands now yeah and it was it's so enticing because you along the way you're seeing all these things that you can't do yet mm-hmm. oh we got to come back here Oh, there's a piece of heart there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a gap here we can't get across. And so, like, it's such a joy to go, like, yes, I can get across now or I can get through. But certainly a challenge to even remember all the all the little things. There were plenty, like, in the early game, there was so much stuff that I couldn't do that by the time I got those abilities, I was rediscovering those things because I had totally forgotten. Right. Like, oh yeah, I was over here and there was a thing that I couldn't get, but I haven't been over here again in so long that I need to like, oh yeah. shit, I've been able to do this for, you know, 
two dungeons ago, I got this thing, but I hadn't done it yet because I was out doing other stuff. Yeah. And when you pass it by again, you think that you've been there before because yeah. you have, but you don't remember that, oh, wait, I didn't actually accomplish anything there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it. Uh, and then you get into the dungeons and, you know, the first four dungeons are pretty straightforward and easy. Mm-hmm. But they really turn up the heat, starting with Dungeon 5. <laughs> 5 through 8 are these tangled webs, confused, just like... <laughs> Those are intense. Yeah, they they really... They're so compl- complex and... Uh, well, they're like... I'm thinking of the one that you did, which I think was the 7th dungeon, maybe the 6th. That it was like a small dungeon, but you had to basically take a different path through it over and over again because there's the like raised elements of the floor that you can turn on and off with a switch and so it's like half of it goes up and the other half you know it goes mm-hmm. up and down different sections when you hit the switch and so it's like when one section is up, you can access half of the dungeon, basically. And so you go and you explore all that stuff, and then you flip the switch and you can explore the other half. But there's still elements that you haven't gotten yet, so you have to do this thing where you half explore, and then you flip a switch, and then you explore the other half and kind of see, like, what paths you can find through it. Mm -hmm. And, like, in the... In the second half of Dungeons, there was a lot of stuff like that, where it was just like having to do the same thing that you're doing on the overworld, basically, where you're retracing your steps, going back after you've found something. Oh, I, I went through this and I couldn't get there, but now I got a key so I can go back over that way. But, oh, now it's blocked because I did this thing in this other room, so I need to go back and go around the other way, go around the long way oh, I haven't seen what's in this room. How do I even get over here? And Mm -hmm. so it's like all these things where it's not a linear path through the dungeon at all. A single room could be split into like four or five different sections that you can only access it one at a time and from different directions uh, because of different, you know, altitudes and one-way doors, switches. And it's just a, a... a big Rubik's Cube to figure out. And as it got later in those dungeons, as it got harder and harder, it got harder and harder to find the elements, to find the compass and the map and the stuff that you need to be able to see where you're going and kind of plot out, okay, I've been here already. Okay, this connects to this, which is really like hard to grasp if you're just yeah, wandering you just through the dungeon. Blindly yeah, you're just... you have to find something. <laughs> Just going through blind. And then it took, like, in those later dungeons, it took so long to find the map and the compass and stuff. And it was sometimes just, like, a place that we've been through before, but we hadn't done the secret right. So the chest didn't appear and we didn't find the map until we were, like, halfway through the dungeon already. (laughs) And so it's just, like, really challenging in that second half. And we, I think... Once we got into those later ones, we spent like a couple hours on each of the dungeons yeah. just to, just trying to get through them. And then the boss was a different story. Like we would get to that and it's like <laughs> we were using save states and it got to be a, a catchphrase of you just being like save state, save state. Yeah. Every time I got like, 
through something because I would, I would just get immersed and be like, okay, I'm single-minded. I got to get to this thing. And you're like, save state, save state, just save state. We have to use save states just to <laughs> make this a timely yeah. endeavor because <laughs> the, we don't have time to get punished every time. And we, we didn't save state all the time. No. Just on the parts where we really needed it. Like sometimes I would even just save state jumping across using having whenever I had to do the Pegasus boots and rock feather dash jump across yeah. multiple pits, <laughs> which is really kind of a finicky th- maneuver. Uh-huh. Oh my god, it's 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 crazy how inconsistent that was. <laughs> but I might have been doing it wrong. Apparently, you're not supposed to be touching the control pad at all when you do that. Just oh, yeah, it's just. But still, straight. the timing you can get sucked into that pit. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, like the dungeons, they they couldn't use multiple floors, like in A Link to the Past. Um, so everything's all all the dungeons are all on a single square grid. I think there's and, only one that has multiple floors. It's the tower. Right, and even that is actually just four smaller quadrants. Yeah. <laughs> that are floors. Um, so I th- I feel like because of they had to compromise on the, the vertic- verticality of it. Mm-hmm. They really had to make up for it in the the complexity of the one floor and uh, really make you think and backtrack. And, yeah, it was no picnic. <laughs> I, and then they, uh, that one dungeon, they kind of they start screwing with your expectations because usually it's... Um, you get the items and then you, 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 you like you get the map and the compass and the beak and then you fight the, the mid boss, which gets you the unique item or, or weapon or tool that you get um, from the dungeon. And then that unlocks a bunch of uh, things in the dungeon that you couldn't do before, like, you know, the, the rock feather for jumping, the power bracelet, the hook shot. But in the hookshot one, whatever dungeon that was, you have to go through this entire dungeon without it, and there's it's obviously all built for it. Mm-hmm. Like this, you're 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 stymied at every turn without that hookshot, and then you get to the the mid boss, and it's the skeleton, and you did the last hit on him, and he. He he buggers off. He runs away, mm-hmm. and so you don't beat him. And then you go to the chest, and it's like there's a note that the skeleton left, and he's like, "I took the item that was supposed <laughs> to be in this chest, jackass." Yeah. And so you don't have the, you still don't have the hook shot, and then you have to go fight him. You have to chase him around without the item that you need mm-hmm. for three more times. And then you finally get it off of him, and it just unlocks the entire dungeon. And then there's like the one I did where you pretty much get all the keys you need first. Mm -hmm. And then that unlocks a string of doors, which is, you know, uncommon. Usually it's you get a key and then you go through to a key door, key door. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I just was really impressed with the dungeon design in this game. Yeah, it was, it was something else. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm playing through the, the Switch version now. And I just blown through these early dungeons now that I know the secrets and stuff. But I know 
I'm going to get to those later ones and it's still going to be hard. Like, there's no way you can remember everything you did. I'm not going to remember it because even when I was in it, like, when we were playing those later dungeons and I was like, (laughs) there was a, a point where we started trading off and I was playing through the dungeon and you were like working on your Inktober, kind of watching, not really. Eagle's Tower. Yeah. And I was, it was one of those things where it's very circuitous and. You know, getting to know which stairs lead to where and what, you know, quadrants or what, you know, what everything, where everything is in relation to each other Mm -hmm. becomes important just because it's like, okay, you're going to have to take this thing over here, but you can't go the normal way. You got to go the other way around. And so I got fed up at a certain point. I was like, I need a break. (laughs) And you tried to play, but you were like, I don't know. I, I don't have the knowledge of this dungeon that you have. You played through all this stuff. You know how everything connects. And that's going to be the thing that's... In, I'm not going to be able to get very far in this because that's what you need. You need this, like, just the muscle memory of, like, I know this place. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like... And it was... It, it got to be that where in that dungeon, I was just going on instinct. Like... Mm-hmm. It, I didn't even really remember where stuff was, but I was like, this door goes where I need to go. And this stair goes to where I'm going to need to go after that. And just like having to plot that out in my head was like, you know, it the, that complexity adds to the, the playability and the replayability and just like the... Yeah, it's like it, a freaking game of chess. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> The, further, the the later the dungeon, the more steps ahead you really have to be thinking about, like, because if you go the wrong way, then you could be screwed. You just lost two, two three minutes of travel mm-hmm. because now, oh, shit, I can't forgot this doesn't actually connect <laughs> or uh, this is a one-way door, I forgot, or, uh, you know, now I have to go all the way around. And that's where the save states came in handy because there was times where it's just like, this is going to waste so much time for me to go back to the beginning, basically, because I fucked up this path. (laughs) It wasn't the way I needed to go. And for me to loop back around is going to take twice as long as Mm -hmm. it would for me to just quit and start over from the beginning of the dungeon, basically. So, it, I mean, it, uh... (laughs) it didn't uh the game was not making it easy for us no at the end there and (laughs) we did it but that's like that made it all the sweeter to like get through it because it was just like it's getting really hard now it's getting really tough it's taking a lot more time to get through these dungeons i don't know we're gonna make it i don't know (laughs) and all the while as you're progressing through these dungeons the enemies please are getting all the more desperate they're all the bosses the yeah, nightmares yeah the the bosses in the dungeons are getting more and more explicit about we are the windfish's dream and you cannot wake him because we'll disappear <laughs> like at the beginning it's like this is all an illusion and it's all very like subtle and then when you get closer to the end it's like don't do it (laughs) don't wake the fish (laughs) and it's like oh shit what the fuck oh god it becomes a real moral quandary because you you, you've made friends on this island Mm -hmm. are they really going to disappear yeah yeah and it's it's um 
the game really forces you to get to know them because a lot of the the puzzles are based upon listening to them mm-hmm. and talking to everybody. It's like is what I was talking. This is the difference between this and Link to the Past, where Link to the Past it's all show don't tell, um, but in this one you really you have to talk to people. You have to know what they're about, what they want, mm-hmm. because for one, there's this mandatory item trading quest, which would become a mainstay of Zelda games, although they've never been mandatory since. Uh, but you have to get this Yoshi doll and know that the mom of the, or the, yeah, the mom of all the little kids wa- wants it for her baby, mm-hmm. and then she gives you something, and you're gonna you're gonna have to know. Oh wait, I talked to somebody who who wants that. Mm-hmm. And uh, same goes for, like, uh, all the, like, mysterious, uh, vague hints that the all the owl statues give you mm-hmm. around the world. And the not-so-vague owl statues inside the dungeons mm-hmm. <laughs> who kind of tell you obvious things sometimes. Man, fuck those owl statues. <laughs> those were, like... <laughs> those I got so annoyed with, I just kind of stopped bothering with them for the most part because it it's like these these owl statues that don't have a beak and you got to find the beak to get to talk to them and the beak is always you find the beak in a room past whatever that room that the owl statue was in so by the time you get the beak and you come back the owl is like here's how you you know, here, here's the solution to the puzzle in this room <laughs> that you had to get through in order to get the beak and bring it back here. So yeah. you've already finished whatever is here, but here's how you do it. <laughs> and I'm just like, fuck you. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> there was one, there was one like owl statue thing that was so. I, I felt like it was condescending to me. Like, the owl was like, oh, here's how you do that. And we literally were like, thanks, asshole. Like, <laughs> wow, here's really? Your, Wouldn't have thought clue. of that. Turn the red and make them blue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Great, thanks. Which was in the color dungeon that was exclusive to the DX version, which they seem kind of, they kind of phoned that one in. <laughs> yeah, it was a little simple. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a game about listening and pay att- paying attention it's which i think you know it's a game for somebody like you who's a reader yeah who writes and is actually doesn't skip through the the dialogue or the cutscenes and stuff i'm always paying attention you it's must my number one thing so yeah you collect all the um instruments of the sirens they got i love their names the full moon cello the conch horn the sea lily bell the surf harp, the wind marimba, the choral triangle, the organ of evening calm, and the thunder drum. <laughs> They've got these island weather kind of motif to them, mm-hmm. and their little pixel graphics are, are cute. And, uh, and they're all rainbow colored. Mm-hmm. When you get them, they play their part of the ballad of the wind fish mm-hmm. alone yeah. just the solo yeah and once you get the ocarina you can go up to the wind fish and play the instruments that you do have and you get an incomplete version of it 
I would have loved to have gotten Ocarina early so I could have heard one by one. Mm-hmm. But by the time we got, I think we'd already had five instruments. Yeah, like four or five. Yeah, so we only got to hear that progression on the last few. Mm-hmm. Um, the the whole the full ensemble playing the ballad is okay. I think I don't think the Game Boy sound <laughs> could really handle all of them very well. Uh, but it was still good nonetheless. It was. It definitely sounded complete in turn. Like there's definitely elements of it that sound like they didn't quite get it. Like because of the capabilities of mm-hmm. the the system, I guess. But it you get that effect of when you listen to it before it's complete, you can hear there's pieces missing, and yeah. then when you play the full thing, it's like you got the full range and there's, you know, it's still a little bit choppy because of the way that the sound is, but I like it. Can we hear the full thing here? Yeah. Music is 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 good. You hear a lot of the same songs over and over, but I like the little uh, their this rendition of the main Hyrule theme. It's got a kind of a nice crescendo to it that the earlier games don't have. I think it's unique to this game. Mm-hmm. And I like how um, it comes in when you get your sword because when oh, you yeah, wash up on the beach, you don't have any of your stuff, and then. The Terran gives you your shield back, and they say, oh, go down to the beach where we found you. Some other stuff was out there. And when you get your sword, it's like the Hyrule field music starts up, and it's like, you're a hero now. (laughs) Yeah, you just feel the power. Yeah. Yes, I'm Link again. (laughs) So you get all the instruments, and you go up to the top of the mountain and play them for the egg. And it bursts open, and you can walk in, and you go into this dungeon that is really just kind of like a Lost Woods thing, where you have to go through, know the way through all these identical rooms, Um, which, again, you know the solution to by reading. Mm -hmm. Finding the secret in some, you know, hidden place earlier. Yeah, you get the magnifying glass, which allows you to read the book in the library that gives you the way through. And so you go through, and then you defeat the the nightmare, who takes the form of all these uh, enemies from Link's past, yeah. including Ganon. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see the windfish itself, and it's this awesome, awesome multicolored, multi-patterned whale that just flies in the air yeah. and makes this big. <laughs> sound it's not really a fish yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a whale that's what the that's what one of the owl statues tells you wind fish in name only mm. as it is neither 
Right. It does. Yeah, they, they, they cop up to it. But I love that sprite. It's great. It's gorgeous. <laughs> and I like, I, I want to play through the Switch version just to see what it looks like mm-hmm. there because it's like, it's such a cool, unique piece of art within Zelda. It's like, not a lot of stuff looks like that. No. Not a lot of the stuff in any of the Zelda games look like that. And, like, the colors that they use are really odd and unique. And it's just another, I mean, it's just the cherry on top of this Mm -hmm. thing because everything about this game has been so, like, weird and mysterious and a little otherworldly. And then you get to the end and you're on this, like, literally, like, a big platform like a single platform with stairs that's got like a carpet draped over it and then this huge multicolored whale is just floating in front of you like yes i'm the windfish and it's just let us waken together link yeah and like shit dog like we talked about the twin peaks thing and it's got such strong Twin Peaks energy mm-hmm. and that's just like part of it you know it's just this this it's, sense of this it's the whole world's on the shell of a turtle floating through space yeah, kind of thing exactly <laughs> like what even is reality that whole this weird existential shit going on that oh my, it's just great I just <laughs> yeah I remember like when I was playing it the first time as a kid, just imagining what the windfish looked like. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this thing? The windfish. Is it going to look like a cheap cheap? Mm-hmm. Is it going to look like uh, a, a flying fish? Mm-hmm. Like an actual flying fish from the ocean? The real thing? Uh, or or what? And um, unfortunately, I got it spoiled for me because there is a spirit of the windfish in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. I think that's how I got it. I got it spoiled for me too. But oh, I yeah. didn't I didn't know that's what it was, but then I was like playing the game and hearing about like what the you know, the windfish. I was like, I bet that thing's the windfish. Mm-hmm. And then but it's like even so seeing it in the game in the way that you see it is like it's still magical. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine they 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 I like how they I mean, they obviously made it look like that with all the patterns because it was originally monochrome mm-hmm. on Game Boy. So it was, it's cool to see that they really went for it with the colors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it looks, it 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 comes off as like iridescent. Like it, you can see it like glittering mm-hmm. and it's just, it's tight. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's awesome. And then it wakes up and you wake up and it turns out you're just still floating on a log from your ship in the middle of the ocean and you look up and you see the island of Covalent disappear in front of your eyes and you look up and you see the silhouette of the windfish flying uh, under the sun the shadow just completely encompassing you and it flies off Link smiles he smiles how does he get out of that ocean? <laughs> I don't know, he probably Swims. died there we never see that Link again oh dang <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 wild. They they actually did it. They they made the island disappear. None of those people you met were real. It's kind of sad. It's bittersweet. Yeah. That but sweet girl Marin wasn't re- 
it wasn't real. She's yeah, gone she now. always tell she tells you, never forget me. Don't ever forget me. Always remember me. And she's like, because she's saying the whole, like, once once it's uh, become clear that she's crushing on you, and she's like, keeps trying to find a way to tell you that she likes you, but never never quite happens. And she keeps repeating, you know, I know you're gonna leave. I know you have to leave at some point. So please just remember me. If you if you don't remember me, I'll never forgive you mm. and all this stuff. And the windfish uh, before you wake up is telling you that like your memories of this place are gonna be how it lives on. Like you're the one that keeps this place alive because you'll remember it. Mm-hmm, yeah. And even though it's a dream, it's the like, only place this place this the only place this island exists now is in your memory or whatever i'm gonna cry (laughs) it got it got me then where it's just like it's okay you have you can let it go because it's still real in your mind yeah and it's it's it, it brings up these interesting questions like did link when he got struck down by the storm did he float into some physical reality that is being affected by the sleeping windfish if the windfish wasn't really in the egg at the top of the mountain where was it was it in the ocean is it does it does anything that comes into this field of the windfish windfish's like proximity enter its dream do they have to be asleep <laughs> to do it i don't know i and, don't know and again referencing jeremy Parrish's video he brings up a good point that it's the dream is kind of affected by Link's own subconscious because, mm-hmm. like, Marin, 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 whatever, however you pronounce it, kind of looks like Zelda. Yeah. And uh, Link thinks she's Zelda when he wakes up, and she's like, "No, my name's not Zelda." Yeah, and uh, yeah, like the nightmares take the form of his enemies, mm-hmm. and. Uh, like the Mario stuff. That's maybe. like our like our world kind of yeah. gets in there too. Like <laughs> the Mario is in there and telephones. Like telephones didn't exist in Hyrule, but here we have these little huts all around the island where you, there's just a single telephone, a uh, uh, rotary dial telephone yeah. waiting connects for you to, to one guy. <laughs> just connects to one guy. Everything is just made for Link. So yeah, it's it's just a trip. Yeah. And you, you, you noted the, the, one of the most explicit Twin Peak connections. This blew my mind when I thought about the implications of it, because in the Jeremy Parrish video, big ups Jeremy Parrish, thanks for <laughs> all the info. But uh, he said that this is the first game where there's an owl guide, which has shown up in Link games, <laughs> Zelda games, mm-hmm. Uh into like now like it's it's become a mainstay Mm -hmm. of the franchise that there's this owl that will come and be wise and tell you where you need to go and it feels kind of Mm -hmm. uh like mysterious and And otherworldly this one he's like he's like the guardian of the island and he kind of works for the windfish yeah he wants he wants you to wake up the windfish yeah and he's saying like oh you're the one who's chosen to do this basically and owls are a thing in Twin Peaks and like the knowing that the developers wanted this game to have a Twin Peaks vibe and owls being such a prominent thing in Twin Peaks uh, 
and being this symbol of, you know, the occult or like strange happenings. Mm -hmm. And that being, you know, that's something that carries over into like aliens and ghosts and kind of that there's this concept of owls being a, a spiritual symbol and them taking that from Twin Peaks the, the owls are not what they seem yeah. like and the, this this little weird element and that's become something that's in Zelda now and it's like a Twin Peaks reference yeah, <laughs> like Peaks the, reference. the owl guide of the Zelda franchise came from Twin Peaks basically <laughs> and that just blew my mind and totally took my affection for this game to new levels because it was just like I've always loved that character like the owl guide in the games is like such a cool weird spooky part yeah. of it and in Ocarina of Time they name him he's Kapora Gabora yeah. and he like he turns his head and he his face works either way like he has a face in this in this in the pattern of his of his feathers uh-huh. and it's just yeah it's like He's this weird, mysterious, creepy thing. It's wibbly wobbly. Yeah. And he's such a, the owl guide in this game is such a, like a weird element, but also a comforting element because it gives you the sense like, okay, there's a, there's a structure to this that I'm supposed to be following. And even if it is all a dream, the windfish wants to be woken up and there's like a reason for this. And so the the fact that all that all came from just this desire to be something weird like Twin Peaks and to have that kind of spooky mm-hmm. uh, energy to it, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's perfect. It just adds such a great touch to this, and I oh my god, yeah. I just love it. That comforting also that you associate that comfort with that music that comes on every time it comes down. Doom doom doom. Doon, doon, doon. So soft. You hear you hear the wind. The you hear the the flapping, the flapping of the <laughs> wings coming down, and there's a little hoot hoot. Hmm. You're like, oh, good. <laughs> Please tell me. Good. Where do I go next? <laughs> Please help me. <laughs> yeah. And now the owl's gone too. Yeah, he disappeared. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. The the I mean, it's furthering the Twin Peaks thing. The all the characters have such Twin Peaks energy. Yeah. Like all these little, one of the things I didn't really, when I watched Twin Peaks, it didn't really make a lot of sense plot wise. Yeah. So I kind of wrote that part of it off, but Mm -hmm. I I really loved all the characters as on their own Mm -hmm. and with each other. And you get that in this game, Mm -hmm. like the, the freaking uh, like the, maybe the bow wow lady is like the log lady kind of, or it's like, <laughs> like, uh, just these quirky characters all over the place. Crazy Tracy. Yeah. Uh, I love crazy Tracy. She's, she does a, she provides a much needed service on the Island. <laughs> she's basically a, the fairy dealer. <laughs> um, like the crocodiles, the walrus, the, the the couple with like their seven kids um the camera the camera mouse the camera shop mouse mm-hmm. lady 
Um, <laughs> they do some funny stuff with, with her and the photos are never just simple, straight on portraits of Link. There's, mm-hmm. there's always some gag going on with them. <laughs> this is really cute. Anyways, I'm pretty much just rambling now. <laughs> uh, yeah, hell of a lot of charm. Good visuals, good music. What did you think? What's your rating? Fucking hype, dude. (laughs) You you knew it was coming. (laughs) I'm hype for Link's Awakening. You can already tell because I'm already on like level three of the Switch (laughs) version. (laughs) It's so cute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I loved it. I mean, like, (laughs) this game and the experience of playing this game is a memory that I will cherish for the rest of my life, which is something uh, very cool and extraordinary that we get to do by way of doing this podcast. And, like, every now and then we really hit it with something, (laughs) and it's just, like... That's the best part of this. Like mm-hmm. the best part of doing this is every now and then we get to experience something incredible and like it it's just it becomes a massive memory. Like it's just yeah. playing through this and like thinking about all these elements of it and talking about it and everything it's just like it's it's become cemented it's another one of the classic Zeldas that I'll, you know, I'll always remember. And that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This was a lot of fun. Basically playing most of two weekends and most of the evenings after work. <laughs> getting through it and, and uh, just un- untangling this knot of a game. Mm-hmm has been a real pleasure and it makes me want to like just you know what let's just go through all the zeldas yeah (laughs) let's just start from the beginning let's just do this with all the zeldas yeah um obviously there's some that we should do on the podcast like link to the past but for stuff like the original zelda and the other game boy games i've never played those either so Mm -hmm. that's not podcast material but it would be fun to (laughs) To go through those and just kind of live through this game series. That's just really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. Toe to tip. Yeah. Well, all right. I still have more stuff, more notes here that I haven't even mentioned, but <laughs> they're mostly just like complaints about the gameplay, but that's not really what we came away with not this game yeah there was the fuck you moments of uh like just like the developers were obviously baiting you to do this exact thing that would kill you yeah (laughs) running into a pit oh oh, what's under here oh it's a pit (laughs) running through this door and getting immediately hit by an enemy that sort of thing it was one of those things where in the moment i got frustrated with it but even a few minutes later, 
I was laughing about it yeah. and thinking like, oh, this is going to be something I remember of this game. Oh, it was so frustrating, this part. But it was fun because we still got through it. Mm-hmm. And we got to laugh at this, you know, the parts that were frustrating or the parts that were like, oh, God, I can't believe that this is like this. But Constantly it was all... sw- going into the menu, swapping yeah. <laughs> equipment every two seconds because there's only two slots. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. That is a Link's Awakening DX. I'm sure that you've thought about and know exactly what you're going to show me next week. I totally do. You motherfucker. (laughs) It's Halloween time. Is it? Yeah, this has got to be the Halloween episode. Shit. What's scary? Weren't you going to... You were going to show me... uh, you had something in mind. Was I going to show you a spook? Uh, I don't know. Forget now. Yes. <laughs> right. I do know what I'm going to show you. And it is going to be Halloween time. We're in spooky season. So... I'm going to show you uh, a movie that's slightly spooky, but a little bit more uh, farcical and funny. Uh, the Quiet Family, directed mm. by Kim Ji-woon. Ah. So we're continuing the tradition of Korean movies for Halloween. <laughs> yes, last year you showed me Mother. Yes. Bong chill- Joon-ho. Chilling tale of a... Of a mother. <laughs> of a mother. Of a mother of a mother. Vindictive kind of mother, I guess. And uh, The Quiet Family is about a family that lives in this resort, uh, like a cabin up in the mountains. And uh, someone dies on the property and their attempts to take care of it spin out of control can't looking forward to more korean genre mashing yeah that's uh definitely where this is at (laughs) mashing those genres they see two genres and they say why not both yeah (laughs) all right cool well i just i realized too late that this episode was technically supposed to be my halloween episode it's a little spooky yeah we'll count it um (laughs) yeah i uh i was so focused on doing the Link's Awakening thing because the Switch one just came out that I forgot this would be my coming out in October. Uh, so you got, you lucked out this year. <laughs> we'll have to do something a little bit more intense next time. Oh, we still have early November. Like That's JRPG Thanksgiving. All, uh... <laughs> That's the, we're going to continue the Chrono Trigger tradition oh, yeah. next month. All right. I like that. That's fine. Korean Halloween and JRPG Thanksgiving. There you go. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for this long episode of I'll Show You Mine. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) Uh, I have been James. You can find me on Twitter at Sparkman Designs and online at sparkmandesigns.com. I have been Elise, and you can find me on Twitter at ImpotentYelling. And my website is ewitstock, and that's on my Twitter as well. 
And you can also follow the show on Twitter at ISYM Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We really appreciate it. Leave us a good review on iTunes if you (laughs) like the show. It really helps. Uh, And, uh, yeah, remember, this song will forever be in your heart. Sleepers wake, dreams will fade, although we cling fast. Was it real, what we saw, I believe? Lost in dreams, we sleep on, tossing and